2: Welcome to it. Great to have you in on Wednesday. Hail, Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbel. We are loaded up. Plenty of college football to talk. Some news from a Big Ten insider to get to on what a schedule may look like. How hot is the seat under Scott Frost? Icy is what I say. What say you, Dennis Dodd? We'll hear from the college football reporter from CBS Sports and where he ranks Mr. Frost on his annual list of coaches on the hot seat. Mike Babcock going to be with us in 15 minutes from Hailvarcity.com and Magazine. Mike Shuhart, Shuey, we'll check in. We'll talk some golf with him. Pretty big time showing at the Rocket Mortgage uh, Tournament. And uh, Shuey will Weigh in on uh, some of the happenings in the PGA. Brad Edwards, ESPN college football insider, and then uh, more college football with Blair Kirkhoff. What's Blair think of uh, the season moving forward? I know that's a, well, it's a day to day different opinion. If you ask the Ivy League, they have punted all fall sports up until January first of twenty twenty one. So uh, you can get in and dial us up at four six six three seven. 76466 3776 825 5865. Find us on Twitter. Give me a follow. Chris Schmidt at Schmidt underscore radio. Elijah Herbal at Herbal Essence on Twitter. Email Chris at HaleVarsity.com. And as always, follow Varsity on Twitter and ESPN Lincoln. Before we get into the absurdity of the hot seat ranking, we must dive into a friend of the program, and he's with Rivals, uh, Purdue. Tom Deanhart. Tom's been on the show with us uh, quite a few times over the years uh, with his time at the Big Ten and also at, at Rivals. And so, Tom Deanhart is locked in. He's plugged in. We don't know what anonymous coach he spoke to, but. The clock is ticking towards this 2020 season. You have mandatory workouts that are supposed to get going here the 13th of July for Nebraska. That's just Nebraska, Oklahoma, trying to bring kids back. Maybe that's already happened. It was supposed to be in this window. There's been some other programs that have had the uh, voluntary that will shift to mandatory. And... This is the latest with Nebraska potentially, and the rest of the big Ten. It is not in ink, although it sounds like the sketch has been made on Elijah's right bicep for a tattoo. See,
0: I was thinking inner bicep actually.
2: So you want to go inner see, you know, I think you got to be able to see it and I'm sorry, I'm not gonna snoop around whether you're not whether or not you're wearing bro tank or not. I'm not gonna look at the inside of your arms.
0: Well, that's why. That's why I want it there.
2: So it's like for me. And if I- you're gonna get ink, it needs to be shown off. It needs to be visible. Period. Hmm. Below the neck, preferably. Oh, I was. St- <sighs> See, the face tattoo would have been sick. Well, yeah, <laughs> it would have been. You, you, you go ahead, son. <laughs> Fire that off. I work in radio. No one sees my face anyway. Uh-huh, it's shifting, my friend. It is. That it so, is. So uh, I will say this: the the Big Ten. Non-conference games appear to be on the verge of being punted. I don't know if it's a third down kick, but punt has been the the word used by Tom Deanhart. And it looks like the Big Ten is headed to be playing only a 10-game conference schedule only. Talked about this yesterday. Would you be good with two rounds of Purdue, two rounds of Wisconsin, that adds up to to 12 games. But you get my point. Do you want... It's got to be worked out. If I could get a home-and-home home with Minnesota, a home-and-home home with Wisconsin, a home-and-home home with Iowa, I think that'd be pretty cool. You, maybe you sprinkle in Indiana. You get Sparty. I don't think Rutgers is going to play football. I just don't. From a travel standpoint, you get Michigan, you get Ohio State, you do the round-robin, You go 10 games conference only. Now, the Power 5 head coach says, look, this hasn't officially been decided. There's a meeting tomorrow, July 9th. But it seems like that's probably in the last week and a half or so. That's kind of the tone from the leadership. And that's been the direction that they've wanted to go and felt most comfortable in going. Nothing's been decided. Nothing's official. But I would not be surprised if that's not the direction they go. So, the decision means you move from a 12 game to a 10 game schedule with each Big Ten school getting rid of their three non-conference games. Eight to 10 days. This is your window on this maybe becoming an, uh, becoming official for Nebraska. That means Central Michigan. That means South Dakota State. And that means Cincinnati. And uh, the other part of this thing, too, is you You have a 10-game schedule. You are going to need some flexibility with this schedule. You do 10 games, give the season 14 weeks. That way, you have some spacing in between. This has been unpredictable from the get-go. COVID has been with pop-ups and surges and positives positive tests and and you have the reality of people testing positive at, a, at an insanely high rate 60,000 in a day in some states I should say uh within the country in <laughs> and, and 10,000 in some states okay so You have 10 games over 14 weeks. There's your flexibility to maneuver games around if a team can't play or there's too many cases. Uh, The other part of this that's a reality, you have your lower-level college football programs, the non-Power Five, the group of five. Their funding and budget is massively different than the Big Ten. The South Dakota states of the world, their funding is, and budget and ability to spend on testing. So you have a apples to apples ability for both teams to be on the same playing field level of testing. So you know who's positive and who's not, and who's bringing COVID to your house. You got to be able to test. And some schools just frankly can't do that. What are we talking for a start date? September 5th could still be in play. But maybe you move it back. You have that flexibility. Again, a 14-week window to get 10 games in. Do you push it back to the 12th of September? Do you push it back to the 19th of September? Let this thing maybe calm down a bit, or maybe it gets worse. I, I don't know. There's two ways to go about it. Jim Harbaugh's on record today saying, you know, sports hasn't caused this. There's no proof that sports will make this worse. I'm paraphrasing Jimbo's comments. Let me pull them up officially here. But he was on a Zoom call with reporters. Part of our society, there's no expert view right now that I'm aware of that sports is going to make it worse. And he's right. There's no expert view that says it's going to be go from bad to worse by playing football. But there's no expert out there that says it's going to make it better. Are you being less safe by moving forward with this. And listen, the SEC uh, will see hell or high water before they, they kick the season away. They're playing football. Okay? So what happens with the SEC? Do they end up going to a 10-game conference-only schedule? Do they keep it at just eight? Do we even have bowl games? I mean, there's a lot of things to tackle, but this is from a pretty reliable source. And a reporter I respect and trust in Tom Deanhart that they're just trying to get things figured out right now. There's a lot of questions, not a lot of answers. And testing 100 players and keeping them free from infection, that no doubt is daunting. Can you keep the players on online courses in the football community in the name of playing football to keep the economy from completely capsizing? Those are all out loud questions and real talk. I think you'll get a 10-game schedule. Do you get 10 games? Maybe it's whittled down to eight, but the idea is to start with 10 as you've moved off of 12. I think it can happen if it's a conference only. There's enough good games, any games, that I'm for it. And if somebody gets a spike in infection, Elijah, Say it's Rutgers. You need to find a replacement for Rutgers. Is that Michigan State? Do you go within your own conference? Is that a mandate that you need to go within your own conference? Or if tests are clean or, or in clear, look at Notre Dame. Notre Dame's been effective, been extremely effective based on their reporting when it comes to one or two positive cases out of 150 within their football area of the world. They have contained this and th- thus far kept the virus out. All right. Uh, you've seen Coach Kelly get mad on a missed fourth down call. <laughs> if you bring if you bring Rona back to, to touchdown Jesus, he may rip your head off. So I look at Nebraska and I'm saying, okay, can we get a phone call down to Kansas or K-State or Missouri or Iowa State? Do we maybe double up with some select foes within – busing or driving distance, so you don't have to jack with airports and rent-a-cars and yada, yada. I mean, go go down the list. The the region is where I would turn my attention to to be able to get at least eight to to ten college football games in. If you can make it happen within conference, great. If it doesn't, you find other ways to fill that void.
0: If we do get in ten games this season, which it sounds like that's what the plan is moving towards, I'm doing some quick math here. For 14 weeks, you've got to assume that the season's going to end Thanksgiving weekend, that normal weekend, because that's when students are going home. That's when the semester ends. 14 weeks before that is August 29th. Okay. So maybe we're talking a week zero start, August 29th. That's a possibility. Could be interesting to see. My other question, when I look at this, which is kind of a a smaller question when you look at the grand scheme of things, but will a Big Ten champion be be crowned this year? Will there be a Big Ten championship game with the 10 games? Do you go
2: Big 12 uh, method with the top two teams?
0: Could be interesting. Or could you just go no conference game? You say it's 2020. It's a weird year. We had to change the schedule. We're not going to crown a champion this year.
2: I think a That'd large be- I think a large portion of what your take-home pay is as a league is what you get off of the bid for your Big Ten conference championship game for TV. I think a large part of that fat wallet from the Big Ten is Fox saying, hey, we want the Big Ten championship game in prime time on Saturday night. It's all about the dollar bills, isn't it? Well, that's why you're even moving forward from an air-quote amateur standpoint of playing college football. It's a financial engine. You make money because you play college football and basketball, and you don't make enough money because clearly Stanford's cutting 11 sports today uh, that are of the Olympic variety that lost money. Yeah, you're going to play and, uh states like Nebraska, states like Iowa, states like Michigan and Indiana. I mean, you need these sports, and you need some sort of interaction and active capitalism to exist. It's already been rough. You take football away on top of it, it ends people's livelihoods. And there. that's not to put that above their their health and life. But you need to be able to, to work and eat and pay bills and support your family. Because that's the reality. There's so many folks that are tied to Nebraska football that that's how they make their money. Okay, we will get into this more with Mike Babcock. Dennis Dodd has his hot seat rankings out. Five... That's the list. Consider that like DEFCON 1. Uh, level 5 is win now or be fired. Your favorite national championship winning quarterback, one of them at Nebraska. On this list, it is absurd. Here's Dennis Don's reasoning
3: nine and 15 in two seasons i don't think anyone expected that coming off what he did at ucf and then what he had accomplished at oregon as well uh scott frost is one of the smartest coaches i know Uh, i i can't explain why it hasn't turned around to the point that their best receiver jd spielman transferred or put his name in the portal in the offseason he was headed towards becoming the all-time leading receiver at nebraska they've had quarterback troubles they've had inconsistencies there uh, I don't know if the average 18-year-old athlete, five-star, four-star, you know, considers Nebraska, and I hate to say that because it's like, is it's cold up there? What have they won lately? You know, you and I know that Tom Osborne's won all those championships, going back to Bob Devaney, but Scott Frost, for whatever reason, just hasn't done it yet, and I would think Bill Moose, the AD, would have to start thinking about things if Nebraska doesn't go to a bowl game, at least
2: coming out of the Big Ten West this year. Bill Moose... And Nebraska gave Scott Frost a two-year extension going five and seven. It's $10 million on top of his already seven-year deal. All right? Nebraska's recruiting rankings indicate that whether they think of Nebraska or not, they know Scott Frost from Central Florida and are wowed, and they know Scott Frost from Oregon because they've been in the top 20 to 25. Dennis Dodd has been around college football a lot. He's been on the show before. This is an ice-cold take that has zero backbone to it. I'm going to throw a popular name out. I'm going to say hot seat. We can all say with a straight face, 9-15, I would have lost my backside on putting money down to that Scott Frost record in two years. I don't think there's a full grasp of the hail storm that you walked into honestly it wasn't this bad after callahan it wasn't this bad after t.o left it was a new low post riley that's it mike babcock's next and we're back fellas so, think we
1: could listen to the radio on hail varsity radio presented by the nebraska lottery
4: yes that's awesome
2: Back with you, it's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal, and we welcome in uh, Hall of Famer, historian, author. And uh, I tell you what, you got to check out the Hale Varsity yearbook. Incredible story from Mike Babcock in the yearbook and great coverage as we uh, hopefully get ready for a 2020 season at MD Babs on Twitter. Babbers, how's your Wednesday, sir?
5: Hey, it's going uh, it's going okay, Smitty. Every day is a good day, I guess.
2: Yeah, we are trudging forward. Thoughts uh, on some of the topics we've hit on to start the show. First, the 10-game Big Ten schedule. How would you concoct this thing? Would you try and keep it division only with a bit of East? Or would you go and play as many round-robin teams in the Big Ten as possible?
5: You know that's uh, that's interesting. Uh, the round robin thing is is really interesting to consider. I, you know, I'm I'm less optimistic than than you are probably about how far they're going to get into a football season if, if they get to that point. But but uh, uh, that round robin thing is kind of a that would be a curious deal. You know, one of the things you you touched on was was travel. How are you going to do that? Um, and the safest way possible. And then when you go on the road, where are you going to stay? I mean, uh, uh, is it going to be out and back the same day kind of a thing? Or, or, uh, um, you're kind of at the mercy of, uh, the, the safety precautions taken by, uh, hotels or wherever you're going to stay when, when you go on the road. It just seems like there's so many sort of ancillary, uh, questions that have to be answered still that, uh. You know, how many games you play and against whom you play them uh, almost becomes a secondary consideration to how you do it. Um, and, uh, you know, and then you go into uh, logistics of, of game day, uh, how many fans do you let in, if you let in, in any fans, and, and uh, you know, how you go about uh, just putting things together. Those are the questions that I... That I that I look at uh more so than than uh, who you, uh, you know how the schedule is going to look um but uh, but the 10 game thing seems reasonable to me and 10 games within the conference seems reasonable and as you pointed out you know we've already got the sense that rutgers isn't going to play so um you're going to have to make some adjustments there and that and that would be a travel problem for Nebraska anyway so um you got to keep it as close to home as you can I think
2: You know, with that in mind, and say you you jump on buses, you got a 60-man travel roster, everyone's tested out okay, and you have a final analysis of, okay, Thursday's the the, the D-Day, and again, this 10-game schedule is within a 14-week window, so you can be a little bit flexible. Could you figure out a way to? Would it make sense to to see Iowa twice? Would it make sense to see Minnesota twice, Wisconsin twice, opposed to risking? And, and maybe it's not that I don't have the the mileage down in front of me, but see them twice opposed to heading out to Happy Valley or, or Happy Valley coming to town.
5: Yeah, no, I I I think that uh, you know that question to me. You don't go to Happy Valley. It's too the distance is too great from here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like I said, you, you stay close to home and, you know, I guess you, uh, uh home and home kind of a thing. I, I mean, in the big 10 championship, you're, you're often playing the same team twice in the same season. It's just kind of a, it's just kind of a weird uh, concept, you know, in football, you don't really think in terms of playing the same team twice, m- multiple teams mm-hmm. twice, but, but if that's what you have to do uh, to accomplish what you want to accomplish here, is, which is to play a schedule, um, I think that, that that you do it. You know, that you play Iowa, that you play Minnesota, you play uh, Wisconsin. You, you try to find games that are close enough that, uh, that you don't have uh, the longer travel considerations, which just aggravates the, the problem, I think.
2: Mike Babcock's with us, Hail Varsity Magazine, com. Babbers, you've uh, covered a lot of college football, a lot of years. You've seen many stories out there, and it's the annual hot seat ranking, and Dennis Dodd does this every year. And uh, it's one thing to go from zero, which means you're untouchable, to maybe nudge your way up to, to three, pressures mounting. We've seen that happen before. And I remember it happening to, to Bo Pelini. Uh Scott Frost going into year three on the hot seat ranking has gone from zero to level five, my friend. What's your reaction?
5: Yeah, you know, and I listened to the clip that you played from Dennis Dodd. And I you know, I've known Dennis for a long time. I and I respect what he does. But you know, listen to that clip, it's it's like, okay, this is uh, I really think it, it's somebody from outside looking in, um, and he was probably one of the same people that had, the, you know, Nebraska in the top 25 and, and all these things, these expectations that were placed on Scott Frost. When you come from Central Florida and you come to Nebraska, um, and, and it, it's a different, it's just a whole different context. I mean, they, to listen to that, it made it sound like you know, why is Nebraska competing for national championship already? And uh, it, you've got to have some patience here, um, which I think Bill Moose has. Well, yeah. And, you know, I mean, uh, if you think he's the right guy for the job, which Bill Moose does, uh, and, and why he hired him, um, you have to have some patience because you have, you know, recruiting considerations. And, uh, you know, I do feel like that the program had slid. Um, you know that uh, that what Scott Frost uh, inherited was not uh, was not the sort of team that's going to compete for the Big Ten championship. You know, and and I was a little surprised at last year that they didn't win at least six games mm-hmm. and get to a bowl game. But nonetheless, again, there's got to be a margin for error because you're you're transitioning. This is only this will be his third season, and I don't even think that you can you know what, what we're talking about with a reduced schedule. A uh, different kind of a schedule. I don't think any coach would be on the hot seat in that can, in that situation. Um, even even the ones that uh, seem more likely on his list, uh, because of all the things that are going on, because of the pandemic. Um, so you're, you're going to wait. I I would think as an athletic director, you're going to wait another another season uh, for all these guys. You're not going to go into a, a season that's affected by a pandemic and say, well, you didn't get it done in, a, in an odd schedule situation, so we're going to get rid of you. But, but certainly Scott Frost, to, to my mind, is not on any hot seat, even if they were going to play a complete 12-game schedule. Um, I would expect that they would win at least six games and get to a bowl game this year. I thought they probably would last year. But, but the expectations can't be a whole lot higher than that because, again, you have to have some patience in developing the program um, uh, particularly where I felt like maybe the program was when he took over.
2: Well, and, and listen, I look at this, and, and you got to move forward. It's it's year three. You got to do better in close games. Got to be a bigger and stronger team. They're trying to do that on the recruiting trail with the size they're recruiting. Okay, got to adjust to the league as a new coach. This is this is absolutely. Uh, it's 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 apples oranges compared to what what riley came in with in his style okay and it was a pack 12 type type style but he he inherited the program as a hell of a lot closer to getting to a big 10 championship game than scott came into i mean the way just things were the win totals the the, the margin of loss i mean it was just and from a culture standpoint i mean i'm gonna stand up and say that i mean i think you had a a different way of doing business here with mike and and mike's way of doing business out of oregon state worked worked for a lot of years it's just different here and i think it's it's even a a longer rehaul it's not just gutting the inside of the house you got to put uh uh a new driveway too man i mean it's just way different than than what frost walked into i believe that wholeheartedly and this isn't uh to be a member of the Scott Frost fan club. I, I just look at Nebraska over the last several years, and this is not an unfamiliar situation covering the football team, but I just look at how difficult and different this is on top of the expectation attached because the guy's from here.
5: Well, yeah, that that's true. And, and also, you know, you talk about Mike Riley and uh, Oregon State, and, and Scott's, uh, you know, development came at Oregon mm-hmm. as a coordinator. I mean, it, again, it's different. That conference is different than the Big Ten, uh, just as Central Florida was. So there's adjustment there as well, and and you're trying to you're trying to put your system into some something that uh, is a much different uh, context than where it was uh, when you were a head coach and where it was when you were an offensive coordinator. Um, and I, I just think that it's going to take time. You know, I he's not on the hot seat. That's not a, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I guess that's to generate some interest or generate some discussion or whatever. But, the, the you know, that's not the case. And, I you know, I don't think it was fair to Nebraska and the, re, the recruiting comment either, you know, that four- and five-star players are not going to come here. Um, because I think that again, you have to give it some time and get this staff and see how this staff approaches things. And I think think they've gotten some four star guys, and you know they've been aggressive in their recruiting. And uh, I, I just think that it, you know, a lot of uh, most of what he said was was inaccurate.
0: Mike, what would it take for Scott Frost to be on the hot seat, in your opinion?
5: Well, uh,
2: burning okay, a picture so- of Devaney.
5: Uh, yeah, let's 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 put theoretical that they played 12 games and you know had your regular season this year, and and you went like three and eight or, or, or three and nine. I mean, mm-hmm. or uh, another four and eight, which I don't think that you know it's it's not going to be that way. And even then, I don't three three seasons is not enough. I mean, you, you okay? If I'm going to put a number on it and this is just arbitrary, but it is at least five, you know, at least five seasons, you've got to have the opportunity to see where things are because then you've gone through uh, a, an entire class of recruiting cycle, even if you're red-shirted guys, um, and, and you can see, do you see development there? Do you see improvement? Do you see the competitiveness, the close games thing that Smitty said, getting it turned around? Um, that's what I look at. And not you know, three seasons is not enough. Just not enough. Uh, four seasons is not enough. Five. Okay, then you can start looking at things and say, okay, well, if we got four losing seasons and the fifth losing season, we gotta we gotta get things going here, or or uh, you know, some changes need to be made. But. You know, I don't think you get an extension after one year, and the athletic director is thinking that uh, you're going to be on the hot seat pretty shortly.
2: Mike Babcock's with us at MDBabs on Twitter. Babbers, fun discussion today. Thanks for the input and insight today.
5: Hey, great talking to you. Be safe, guys.
2: All right, you too. Mike Babcock with us. Mike Schuart's going to check in. Wilderness Ridge. Brad Edwards on the way. Blair Kirkhoff to come next hour on Hale Varsity Radio.
1: And now. And
2: now, back to Hale Varsity Varsity Radio. Matt Edwards coming up. We'll get into the college football schedule look, what it could be. And Blair Kirkhoff will join us, Chris Schmidt, and, of course, Elijah Herbel. Hail City Radio. Let's head out to Wilderness Ridge. We say hi to Mike Shoe Art. And uh, Shoey. can get that swing fixed. Or i just show you where to tee off, man. Shoey, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I am good, brother. And uh, we had a heck of a good time out at Wilderness Uh uh, for the July weekend, brother. Uh, number 16 was a little bit abusive, but it, it can be like that. Yeah, it can. <laughs> There's not so a lot, of, bur- not a so lot of sympathy in you your make. voice. Uh, you know, I think we I, we had two birdies, and I think we had a lot of pars, and... More bogeys than we like, but no snowman. (laughs) (laughs)
6: No snowman. that's good. That's always good to keep off the card. You never Mm -hmm. want a snowman on the card.
2: And the the vodka lemonades tasted immaculate. Oh, yeah. Hey, I got to ask you here. You said Bryson DeChambeau, take it to the bank. And uh, Bryson DeChambeau took down the Rocket Mortgage Classic. Shuey, uh, did you ever in your career... Hit the old uh, bench press machine to the tune of forty pounds you were you yoked up what's, uh, your, no. what's your take on bryson's uh, growth here?
6: pretty impressive actually. I mean, he put on a lot of poundage in a pretty short period of time three months, yeah, and uh, pretty amazing, but again, that's kind of the tune I mean you see in the tune the guys are being super strong, super fit um and finding that it helps them be able to move the ball a long ways. And, you know, for years they've always tried to figure out what was the secret to playing and being successful at golf, and they found out that it's length, really, because the farther you can hit it, the closer you are to the hole. The closer you are to the hole, the shorter clubs you have in your hand. The shorter clubs you have in your hand, the closer you hit that ball to the hole, and your percentage of then you making that putt goes up. So guys are just trying to figure out how they could hit it super long, so they have short clubs in their hands, and this gives them more opportunities to make birdies. You know, what's impressive? He hits it that long, but he hits it straight. Yeah, that's not easy to do.
2: You know, the control was impressive. The and with with Bryson, I mean, he's a guy that that's always been looking to to get better, right? I mean, he's always been kind of jacking with his game. In a in a way to to make himself the very best, and you know we're talking six top ten finishes in a row, and he finally got the winner, which is you know good for him. And when it comes to to his dedication, and he's averaging three forty off the box, Mike. Yeah,
6: that's just nuts. That's <laughs> crazy. <this. laughs>
2: that's that's insane. That's Jay. <laughs> that's Jay Moore, good brother, and uh, uh, you know. Do you see more of a, a trend? And, and listen, I know guys are in better shape and they're bigger and stronger than than. I mean, there's not a lot of dailies or, or the walruses running around out there anymore. I mean, guys are more yoked up and more in shape, and even even Phil is is a little leaner. Or that's been more on his mind, right? Than than in past past you know seasons. Um, what what are the uh, the, the tricks with getting that big? I mean, does, could it mess with your, your swing, your flexibility? Yeah, you're going to be stronger to to crush it, but what, what, are the, uh, what are you gambling by getting so big? We're talking 40 pounds here.
6: Yeah, that's a lot. I mean, that's pretty amazing that he was able, but people don't realize that Bryson, if you ever see kind of some of the things that Bryson's able to do, just from his athleticism, mm-hmm. I mean, this guy walks on, like, a tightrope in his backyard all the time. He does (laughs) workouts on it. It's crazy what that guy can do. And so it's like, you know, he's got some amazingly natural uh, flexibility. So, I mean, he's one that can put that kind of weight on Mm -hmm. and muscle on and still maintain his flexibility. Everybody's so different and unique on how they can handle it and how it affects their body. So you've got to be very careful when you try to do that. Because you, you can change what your golf swing is and not for the better. You know, so it's like he's a case that he can do that. Tiger's another one. Tiger's incredibly flexible, amazingly flexible, dude. So sometimes putting that bulk on helps because it, it tightens their golf swings up. You know, some guys that are already tight, kind of that way, um, they don't work on the flexibility aspect of it when they put that kind of muscle on. You know, it, it definitely can disrupt what it is they normally do and not to the better. Mm. So each each person is a little bit different in how they go about doing that and what they do to benefit. doesn't benefit everybody.
0: Mike, I, I don't want to accuse anyone here, especially Bryson, but I watched Long Gone Summer. And, I mean, do you think that there could be PED use in golf? Would it even help? Uh.
6: Um, I think so. I mean, they have to. I mean, that's – they help in everything. Because what – just all other sports, what, what's it doing? It's with growth, which is speed, uh, which is power, which is muscle. So golf has all those attributes to it. So you know, I think guys use that, no question. Okay. And a lot of money out there, you know. If you're not getting tested for it, why wouldn't you use it to try to make some of that money?
2: No, and that's the that's the the counter to it. Right? Is if it ain't illegal, is it wrong? <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Shuey. I I thought with uh, what's gone on in golf, and and that's unfortunately the pushing back of of a couple of major events: uh, the Ryder Cup and Presidents Cup, delayed to twenty one and twenty two, and on a broader note, uh, you're hearing some some murmurs about football shrinking down to a 10 game conference season. As we talked to you on Wednesday here, uh, what's your uh, outlook like here for for golf and and also kind of comment here on on football here?
6: Yeah, I mean golf is is going you know because it's it, you're out the social distance, distance aspect of what it is of mm-hmm. uh I see golf being able to maintain its ability to play and keep playing. You know, football, man, I just don't know. I mean, with what you seen and outbreaks happening, you certainly get all these players coming back. I just don't know how it's going to happen without outbreaks happening. It happens all the time. It's already happened. You look mm-hmm. at, you know, practices that they had. When was it? LSU had 36 diaries come down with it. So it's like, so it's not going to, not going to happen. I mean, so it's, I just don't see how those type of events can be heard. Just like the Ryder Cup. I mean, I don't think it's a problem to play the Ryder Cup, mm-hmm. but no fans, that wouldn't be the Ryder Cup, in my opinion. That would be a whole different animal. You know, you got to have the fans at the Ryder Cup. And that's what it's about. It's about our country against your country. You know, the fans are part of that. You know, that's not just a players-only type of event. I mean, that's a... Country versus country, and you need the fan support. So I can see why they would would postpone that so they could at least have the best chance to get fans there. You know, college football is kind of the same. It's like I just don't. It would be so different. Guys kicking a field goal at the end of the game with nobody in the stands and nobody saying a word—that would be so weird.
2: Shuey, a thought here about fifteen seconds. Uh, Fit Fridays uh, hours and folks uh, when they when they can come check you out.
6: Yep, they can come. Fit Fridays are from usually 3 to 7. Um, got to make sure you call at a a time. Um, you can go to our website and kind of get an idea of who's going to be there, what's going to be there. Um, uh, Keys always getting an appointment. Uh, so you uh, can't just show up, got to make an appointment, and we can get you fit up with anything you kind of want. Get your game right.
2: There we go. Mike Shuart, Wilderness Ridge. Schuart, we'll talk next week, brother. Be good. Uh, you
1: too, thanks for having me. And now.
2: And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. One final time this hour, Brad Edwards coming up. ESPN College Football Insider College Game Day. Blair Kirchhoff, Kansas City star next hour. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal. Reminder about your friends at West Blue Realty. 2020 could be the year you make a move. West Blue wants to help out with that. They specialize in residential Home sales in Lincoln and surrounding communities, they can help you make that transition for a limited time. You mentioned Hale Varsity and West Blue can provide you up to $1,000 on the closing of your next home purchase. Give Tom Luby a phone call. Tom can help out at 402-540-3768. Or Kelly Hofsneider, Kelly, there to help as well at 402-202-2312. It pays to work with West Blue. Uh, Westbluerealty.com. And do you have some agricultural land? Uh, if so, listen, they can help out uh, selling some of that ag land you have. They have an auctioneer. They can handle live auctions, sealed bids, and general land listings. And they sold land in different parts of the state of Nebraska, Seward Oto and Lancaster counties. They can help you out. Uh, they are located. Make an appointment today, 1120 K Street, Suite 200. So lots to get into Harbaugh's thoughts with Brad Edwards, the Ivy League's decision on fall sports. What's it mean for football in the power five, if anything, and some hot seat thoughts as well. Good stuff from Babcock on that. And we played the uh, snippet from Dennis Dodd. Dennis just seemed so out of touch, so far away. As a national college football guy, it's a no-brainer to go in on, Todd, on on Coach Helton. USC. First two years, guy went to 11 and 10 win seasons. He's backed them up with a couple of 5 and 7s. Chip Kelly, outraged by players. He, he is clearly miserable coaching in college again, or at least guys haven't bought in, right? he's not adjusted. And then some of the other dudes on the list, they're from no-name programs. Connecticut, Tulsa, I'm forgetting the other. But just to, to include Scott Frost on that list as a, as a hot seat to go from a guy that was untouchable to win now or you're done is idiotic. It's absolutely an idiotic take. And, you know, Bo Pelini got pissed off when his name was mentioned with the hot seat, there's a little paranoia there. It was ticked off. He didn't like it. I I get it. I'd love to hear Scott Frost's take on this.
0: Well, to me, it just sounds like Dennis Dodd got his source on this from like some angry Iowa fan on Twitter. It
2: just it just doesn't seem like he or oh, he got it from the wrong guy at Nebraska.
0: Yeah, that too. I mean, it just it does. I mean, even like the Spielman thing. He said, "Oh, you,
2: you lost your." Your
0: leading receiver
2: because he didn't you like the results. Been? Yeah, Spielman was gone the minute spring football got canceled. Yeah, he was one gone. The, he was gone the minute he took his leave of absence. Man, he wasn't coming back. One Google search could have told you. I mean, he took
0: leave of absence because of mental health related reasons. Yeah, and he's gone. I mean, wasn't a surprise to anybody. And it's not because of the results in the field.
2: And his recruiting take is a joke. It's not that Nebraska has been knocking on a championship door. They haven't. But it's not like they haven't recruited well under Frost. I know there's been attrition, but specifically the last couple of classes on paper, right? They've recruited well. And we'll see how that uh, that production from paper makes its way to the field here for 2020 if we get a 2020. In Hour 2, it's Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbel, Blair Kirchhoff coming up, Kansas City Star. Big thanks to Mike Babcock from Hale Varsity last hour. It's Brad Edwards time, as we say hi to our college football insider and part of game day with ESPN. Brad, good holiday weekend. How are you?
3: Yeah, good weekend, and uh, I guess I'm doing well. We're uh, still holding our breath you know, every day to find out what, what could come next to sabotage football season. But uh, so, so far, um, nothing disastrous.
2: You know, I don't know if you're a fan of the movie Airplane, but a lot went wrong in that movie.
6: Yeah, uh, yeah.
2: And uh, one day it was sniff and glue. Right. One minute it's don't call me Shirley and, you know, on and on and yeah. on. And it, it feels like that yeah. that's how football season's going. What's the ripple effect, in your opinion, of the Ivy League, their decision to cancel sports for the fall?
3: I could be wrong, but I don't think that it has much of an impact on the Power Five. Um, there there might be certain institutions in the Power Five, uh, the ones that are, are more known for their academics, such as you know, Stanford, Northwestern, uh, et cetera, et cetera. You, you, you know who they are mm-hmm. um, that, um, that, I mean, for, for the most part don't have great football programs uh, that will be more inclined to want to follow the Ivies. But I, I think there's a big difference between what Ivy league sports decides to do and what Ivy league academics decides to do as far as the ripple effect on other universities. And so Um, Now, if if Ivy League schools were to make a, you know, a decision across the board that none of them were going to uh, allow students on campus this fall, then I think that could have a bigger impact on football season, to tell you the truth, in that I think there would be a bunch of universities that would feel inclined to do the same thing, you know, to follow suit with the Ivies there. And if they did. Then um, I, I think there would be a whole lot of people would say, "Look, if you're not going to let them on campus to go to class, then you can't have them on campus playing sports." So uh, that, to me, might be more dangerous to the uh, to the future of the 2020 college football season as far as something that the Ivy League, you know, might do that would uh, have a ripple effect with the Power Five.
2: Brad Edwards with us from ESPN. Brad, a thought with uh, the SEC. A, who's the SEC going to listen to with the, when it comes to, to the medical community? Are they going to listen to their own medical experts? Is there a, do they turn to a Burks or a Fauci with a, okay, here's how you can play football? B, there's talk about the Big Ten just slimming things down to just a 10-game conference schedule. Would the SEC be willing to do that, or or is that where where you think they can lean, or do you have any clue? Uh,
3: I, I think I'd be lying if I said I have a clue. Um, what I would think the, a factor here, as as you know, teams discuss, you know, how much of the season that they might be inclined to play. Now, uh, first of all, let's let's not forget that um, you know that when it you know, when it comes to matters of um, matters of doctors and all that, you know, I mean, it, it's not like there's any doctor that's going to make a decision for a whole conference. I don't think, anyway. I I, I think that the teams would do the same things they do in the regular season, which is that they're go- going to allow their team doctors mm-hmm. to make these decisions about what's best for them. And uh, you know, maybe there would be within a conference, there might be a you know, a meeting of all the doctors representing the different teams and something could come out of that. But I I don't think that any doctor nationally is going to have an impact on, you know, what uh, any one conference decides to do by itself. Certainly not, you know, not the SEC. Um, What was the second part of it you asked me? No, about the non-conference schedule and maybe getting rid of it. Yeah, I I think that – There seems to be some sense in what baseball is doing, you know, which is, uh, you know, maybe regionalizing things more and cutting down on on a lot of the the travel between regions of the country. I mean, I can tell you this, like in where I live in Connecticut, half the states in the country right now, if you come into Connecticut from those states, you have to quarantine for two weeks Mm -hmm. um, by law. So, um, I, I, think, I think there's going to be – I mean, unless things change in the next couple of months, there are going to be a lot of states that are going to not, not want their teams to be traveling outside of the region because of stuff like that. So uh, that could have an impact on non-conference scheduling. And, I, I, you know, I think when we were talking about this last week, I had mentioned that um, I could see the possibility that, that some of the non-conference games or some of the matchups could switch from being something that were, you know, kind of cross-sectional to becoming more regional, where you might get rid of a, an opponent from across the country and schedule someone who was more in your neck of the woods uh, from a different conference. And uh, so I, I think, you know, I think that's a part of it. Um, and uh, I, I, I do think that, um, you know, going forward, that the, the big question that these teams have to ask relative to this idea of, you know, do we restrict this to conference games only – is the financial impact. I mean, we all know that, you know, not being able to have a full stadium, not being able to sell all the tickets has a financial impact. The question is, where's the break even point, you know, at at which um the attendance justifies all the other costs of operation for a home game. You know, are, are you actually losing money if if you're paying all these different people to be there? Uh, operationally and yet you're only selling 25,000 tickets or 20,000 tickets or whatever it may be as far as what you're allowing in. And if a home game becomes a losing proposition financially in this environment, then I I think it becomes much easier to scrap those home non-conference games that weren't expected to be competitive anyway.
2: That's the the thought here on the Big Ten's perspective and uh, Tom Deanhart uh, was able to, to get in contact with a, with a Power 5 coach, and not, there's no name attached to the Power 5 coach, and there's nothing in ink with the Big Ten. But next eight to ten days after a meeting tomorrow, it sounds like, per Tom's report, that, listen, uh, the Big Ten will shrink it down. They'll get rid of the non-conference games those are expensive of course you're 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 buying wins or you're trying to buy wins in in that instance anyway but the other side of it is you just have such a gap in testing and budget for testing so you could be inviting some problems in or you could be sending some infections out if your team you know doesn't have uh if, if one or two positive cases slip through so to speak so You'll have more of a, a level testing playing field within your own league. You'll have a uniform testing yeah. setup, I would think.
3: Yeah, and I mean, look, and I know, I think, I think you're alluding to some of this, which is that, um, I mean, it, it's going to be you have your your ordinary, you know, game day operational expenses still built in. Now, granted, you're not going to have as many parking attendants or concession stand workers and all that stuff if you know if you're not going to have as many people coming to the games um, but but you still have to pay those people a certain amount um, and now you're having to on top of it pay for some sort of testing at the gates what, you know whether you're taking people's temperatures or whatever it is it, that's not free you know it costs something and so you put that on top of the what, whatever you measure the risk to be not only to all the people who are who are in the stadium you know spectating but also to the players. I mean, I would think every, every time you're getting out there on the field with uh, you know, going against another team, you are increasing the risk that some of your players are going to pick this up. And so uh, if, you know, if you don't need that win for your season and if you don't need – and by the way, this, I mean, what would happen to bowl eligibility requirements becomes an entirely you know, different yeah. story at this point. You know, if, if a bunch of conferences go in this direction – um but yeah, they're just there are a lot of things to consider and if, if you're not making money off home games, I mean that was always the rationale for um, you know, for for scheduling the automatic win um, is is either okay, you're you're making X amount of money every time you have a sold out home game uh and you're gonna give some of it away to these people to just come, you know, come take a bunch of hits, uh, or you desperately need that win to become bowl eligible. If all that stuff is kind of on the back burner, then, yeah, I think it becomes more likely that that type of stuff could happen.
2: I want to go back to a a shrunken regular season schedule with no non-conference. With the SEC, would they just fill up the schedule regionally, or would there be that round-robin attack, or would you play some teams – a second time, could you foresee that within your own division? Could you see Auburn, Alabama, twice? Could you see Ole Miss, Mississippi State, a home and home to get to ten? If you don't want to cross over completely east versus west.
3: Yeah, I think it, it depends on what you're trying to gain. Like if if it's more of a concern about you know not exposing. uh your players or fans or whomever to you know people from other regions. If that's the concern, then then you could still play 12 games. And if and if that's you know if that's still on the table, playing 12 games, just not against the teams that you normally would. Then yeah, if you've got a you know a seven team division, you could play home and home against everyone, and there's your 12 games. Um, but if you know if it's more of a concern about okay, are, are we going to try to figure out the 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 best way to crown a champion within our conference, then you've got to start thinking about, okay, how do we set up the conference schedule to make sure that we don't end up with, you know, uh, three undefeated teams within the yeah. conference because there are certain ones that, you know, didn't play each other um, due to the, you know, the, in other words, you, you, you've got to keep divisional play to some extent because if you start to get too cute with it, you could end up where, you know, you've got a, enough, uh, enough of the wrong teams that don't play each other that you end up with three undefeated, and then how do you decide who makes it to the conference championship game? So uh, I, I do think there will be an element of, um, you know, trying to become more local, but if, it, but if it's, it's simply a matter of, you know, how many games are you able to play? I mean, look, um, you know, for the, for the teams that already play nine conference games, uh, it might not be that big of a deal to add one more game against a team from the other division and let's make it an even 10, and uh, and you got a 10-game league schedule. Whereas for the ones that only play eight, like the SEC, now you're having to add two more. It becomes a little bit more complicated. I don't know if it's a deal-breaker. Uh, what do you do with the ACC where the Notre Dame thing is built in? Uh, what do you do if you're Notre Dame and you have no conference? The, I mean, Those are the kind of things that... Um, You know, they're going to have to be some serious discussions about and I'm sure those discussions have already taken place for the
2: most part. Brad, I'll let you out of here on this, and it's fun chatting college ball with you. Uh, We were talking hot seat rankings. Those have come out uh, with a different media outlet, and Scott Frost went from zero, which was untouchable, to five, which is in you're going to be fired if you don't win now. What's your reaction to that?
3: Um. I don't. I mean, I have. I, I mean, you you know the the, you know the culture better there within the athletic department uh, and the university. But I have a hard time believing Scott Frost could lose his job this year, if, exactly. even if things went poorly. Yeah, I mean that that seems pretty extreme to me. Um, you know, given his relationship with the university and all that, this is not. You know, this is not Joe Moorhead coming in from you know, a different area of the country with no connections to the, to the school or the conference. So, um, uh, I can't see that happening, uh, but I, I do know this. I mean, there is, I was, I was on a show uh, somewhere else this morning and we were discussing Jimbo Fisher at A&M and how, you know, with his reputation for, you know, working with quarterbacks, if, if he comes in and he gets Kellen Mond as a, you know, after having started a few games as a freshman, if he gets him for three full years, sophomore, junior, senior, and they don't get anything out of it, um, there are going to be a lot of upset people in Aggieland because um, we've just seen so many coaches, and this is the part that kind of applies to Frost, mm-hmm. we've seen so many coaches over the last 20 years come into Power 5 programs and have great success in year two or year three, where that's, it's kind of become the barometer there, where if, if you're not showing you know, great signs of progress by at least year three, the belief by a lot of people is you're not going to ultimately get it done. And I don't think that's always true, but I think probably 80% or more of the time that is true these days. If you're not showing great progress by year three, it's more than likely not going to happen.
2: Well, that year three jump has been some pretty special rarefied air. When I look at the, the year three wow factor, right, when you look at guys like uh, – like a Herman uh, what he was at, at Houston or, or even ahead of schedule right uh, down at, at, at Texas, what they did in year two or a year three uh, in uh, James Franklin's case, Urban Myers case, uh, Pete Carroll's case. Those are all pretty pretty big yeah. wow factors, and and quite yeah, frankly, there diff- a lot of them. Different different I mean, entry you, points. You
3: know the list. You're you're rolling them off. But if you look at if you look at like since 2000, and Saban, you're looking at yeah. uh, year two and year three coaches that that made it to the national championship game or at least got really close. Mm. There are a lot of them.
2: There are, and those programs are still at a, at a pretty high level. Brad, lots of. Fun chatting with you. We'll get caught up again next week. Thanks for a few minutes today.
3: You got it, Chris. As always, take care.
2: All right, bud, take care. There he is, Brad Edwards. Good stuff from him. Some thoughts on the Royals, the Chiefs, the Huskers. Blair Kirkhoff, Kansas City star. He's up next on Hale Varsity, presented by the Nebraska Lottery.
1: And now, and now back to Hale Varsity
2: Radio. Back in it's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. A few minutes talking uh, with Blair Kirchhoff, Kansas City star at Blair Kirkhoff. on Twitter's where you follow him. Blair, good to spend some time with you. How you doing? I'm
4: doing great, Chris. I hope you are too.
2: We're hanging in and uh, excited for sports. We all hope that happens, and I uh, want to get your quick take on on Kansas City and Mahomes and uh, what this means for the future in Kansas City. There's already been a lot uh, laid down by this offense, this quarterback, and this head coach. How high is the ceiling? How many more can the can the, the Chiefs go get with this signing of Mahomes? This extension.
4: The Chiefs and Mahomes are always going to come to an agreement on a deal, and you know he had two years left on his rookie contract, and everybody around here was thinking, "Man, wouldn't it be great if they went as many as six years uh, additional?" And the fact that it went to ten just well, it's got everybody around here uh, giddy as all get out. It's it's, it's remarkable. And um, how many more can they win? Well, I, I think that you know the, the the best opportunity is going to come in the next few years because the way the contract is structured, you know, there's flexibility and it's a little bit backloaded, and there's going to be room to to sign the, the stars on the the current stars that deserve raises and. Um, I, I don't think they're going to have a problem with keeping you know their star players happy for the next few years, and and you know how it is in the NFL, it turns over and it'll turn over just like it did in New England with uh, with Tom Brady and in um, other places. But uh, but but for the foreseeable future, I you know the, the Chiefs are a pretty pretty big favorite to to win it all again going into 2020, assuming there is a 2020 season, and um, and and I don't think. You know, we'll see what we'll see how things unfold. The Ravens are great. Uh, Houston Texans are really good. There's there's some you know there's the the Patriots now with Cam Newton. There's there are others um, to, to look at. But the, the Chiefs clearly go into next season as the favorite. And, um, and uh, you know, I know we're we're all dealing with the health and safety issues right now. But at least in Kansas City on Monday, and then it, and then it kind of bled into Tuesday. People in Kansas City are just as happy as they, they could they could possibly be for, for, for Mahomes to commit for as long as he did.
2: Blair Kirkhoff's with us a few minutes. Uh, Hail Varsity Radio at Blair Kirkhoff on Twitter, Kansas City Stars, where you find and read Blair. What's your outlook for the Royals in this shortened MLB season?
4: You know, um, if, if the season comes off um, as scheduled, the 60-game the schedule, the teams that were, um, th- that we all thought would would struggle, uh, and the Royals being one of them based on what's, what's happened the previous two years, they've over 100 losses each time, you know, they, they, they go from basically a 0% chance of, of making the playoffs to, you know, a chance to make the playoffs, to be one of the, we'd be one of the five teams that makes the American League playoffs. Now, the, the the reason for optimism in Kansas City is not just the shortened season, which helps, I think, the underdog's chances, but um, the fact that the season is going to be delayed for as long as it is, and that's going to help the, the, the Royals with players who were injured last year, didn't get to finish last season, and may have been sort of, um, you know, not a hundred percent going into this year. If the year had started when it was supposed to, and I'm thinking Salvador Perez and Aldo Verno in particular, so you get those two guys back, and of course Perez is dealing with COVID right now, but mm-hmm. he's expected to be back by the, the first game. But you get you put those two guys into a lineup, and the, the, the Royals have drafted so much college starting pitching over the last three years that you know these guys are probably closer uh, to the big leagues than. Um, then, then, other than the normal draft class that was sprinkle in high school arms, would be there's some optimism that this team can be at least part of the race in a 60 game season, um, you know, toward the end. And then, if that's the case, anything can happen. Um, so, you know, look, baseball is, you know, they're having their issues, they're, having, they're running into some, some road bumps right now with, with the restart. But the Royals are young, relatively speaking. They're they're really having to take in the right attitude toward, um, uh, toward the restart. They have a new manager in Mike Matheny, a new owner in John Sherman. And they're just, you know, they're the ideal, they're handling this in an ideal way. And that's more than it can be said for other clubs.
2: Blair, I want to go to college football and uh It sounds like the Big Ten may go to a a 10-game league schedule only. What are you hearing out of the SEC? What are you hearing out of the Big 12? And if things get sideways for some regions, could you see an impromptu Nebraska-KU meeting or a Nebraska-Iowa State or even a K-State-Nebraska matchup, assuming we can all move forward?
4: Yeah, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> Whatever circumstances bring Nebraska together with its old old rivals from the, from the Big 8, I, I think would be lovely. Um, you know, what, what, one thing I'm hearing, Chris, is that there is increasingly there, – there's increasing difficulty in, in Power 5 or automatic qualifier 5 conference those teams um, with their non-conference Power 5 leagues. If their FCS schools or a group of five schools don't have the budget for testing that uh, that the Power Five schools do, you know, how, how could that happen? Do you, you know how could if you're
2: Blair, we're losing Blair, we're losing you, bud. Okay, we got you back.
4: So the the group of five schools and the FCS schools may not just may not be able to afford to test as often as the Power Five schools do. And if you're, if you're a Power 5 school, do you want to run that risk? And I, the answer is clearly no. So the idea of just having conference games, whether, you know, among Power 5 schools or only opponents among Power 5 schools where you, you can trust the testing, I think makes – all kinds of sets. I, I think you're going to have to build in some open weeks during the college season that you wouldn't normally have. I don't know, maybe it's 14 weeks to get in 10 games just in case there's, a, there's an outbreak with a team. It's, I'll tell you, we're already seeing the issues with restart, the, the, the restarts with baseball, with MLS soccer, with the NBA, there are already problems there. I mean, everything is still scheduled to restart, but I think college football can kind of kind of go to school on what they're seeing in the professional sports and act accordingly. And that is to, you know, make sure that there's enough room on the schedule on the calendar to to, to get in as much of a season as they can get in. And we've seen some of that with with the major conferences pushing their. Their conference championship games back an, an extra week just to give the to allow the schedule to breathe a little bit.
2: Blair, uh, a national rider comes out each week, I should say each season, with a hot seat list. I chuckled at it because I clicked on it and and I read it. Not far below Coach Helton at USC or Coach Kelly at UCLA comes Scott Frost, and it's more of a, a win, now, win now mandate. Listen. The first two years uh, versus expectations on opposite ends of the spectrum. That said, there's still a lot of confidence around Nebraska in in Coach Frost. I think they're they're building the right way to to be really pretty talented. This is uh, a crazy 2020 with the uh, the pandemic. Your view heading into year three with Nebraska. You've seen programs have to to reset and rebuild before.
4: There's there's no hot. Uh, for scott cross not 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 to that extent I mean it's just not for, for a couple reasons one the, the season is just going to be so um, you know so unusual uh, we, we saw it in basketball right there how many how many coaches were fired after last basketball season much 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 fewer than in a normal year and i think this is a uh, I, I just think it's an odd year to even come up with a list of hot seat coaches and without without You know, understanding how this how this season is going to unfold, but but the bigger reason is look there was uh, so much enthusiasm when Scott Frost was hired. He was hired by the athletic director who's still there. Everybody in the world who has an interest in Nebraska football wants this to work. There's there's just so little skepticism that it will work that uh, I I think you know it's results driven uh, situation, right? You need wins. Scott Frost needs wins. The program needs wins. But you've got to, I, I think there, there will be a measure of patience with, uh, with this hire that you, don't, you wouldn't normally see.
2: That's uh, kind of my thinking <laughs> from a patient standpoint. And I kind of go by what, what old Coach McBride has told me. And that is, if, if he can't fix it, it isn't going to get fixed. So, right. uh, the other side of that's the financial side, and this kind of zooms out from, you know, the the commitment to to Frost. I mean, it, it, there's not a lot of spare money laying around in, in 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 the country, let alone athletic departments right now. And I, I look at uh, even a Chip Kelly or, or or a Helton that, yeah, SC wants to get back to be Pete Carroll SC and UCLA would sure love to be late 90s uh, UCLA but I think uh, because of some of the financial ramifications you're going to probably hang on to guys a lot longer
4: yeah absolutely there's um, every school every school no matter the classification or the budget is going to go into 2020 21 with a reduced athletic budget and they'll, they'll be more cost conscious than ever I think uh, contracts are going to be restructured. Uh, the buyout clauses—you're not going to see the, the huge buyouts anymore, um, at least at least for a while, until uh, until we, we sort of w- regain some financial footing in college sports. Um, you know, the you know we 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 still don't know what the level of fan participation is going to be in college football. I know I know there are schools that are hopeful for you know for fans some to, to some level. I, I I just really, at this, you know, on this date, looking ahead, I don't see it. I just don't see any fans in the stands, at least, at least early. So you lose that, and uh, so yeah, they all the schools are looking at financial challenges. And I think if you're if you're an athletic director of a major university, major football program, and your coach is doing just about everything else right, and the wins aren't where you want them to be. Then you're going to see that coach stay longer than it normally would. And and, and I, I, I look, I, I, if everything was normal, if, it, if there was no COVID, and uh, I, I think that we would see frost there for for quite a few number of additional years. Uh, I think the current situation only extends that idea.
2: Blair Kirkhoff with us, Kansas City Star, uh, Hale City Radio, and you can find Blair. On Twitter, at Blair Kirkhoff. Blair, be safe and healthy, and thanks for a few minutes. We'll talk again.
4: Hey, good talking to you, Chris.
1: And now... And now,
2: back to Hale Varsity Radio. Back with you, it's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Time for a jock Doc Wednesday, Lincoln Orthopedic Center... Dr. Doug Tavis with us. Dr. Doug, how was your fourth?
7: Hey, we did great, Chris. You know, just nice hanging out around home a little bit and, and uh, you know, a different kind of a fourth of July, but it was great.
2: It was good, and uh, that's awesome to hear. And soon enough, we we hope to get some football. We hope to get some NFL. Dr. Doug, is Pittsburgh called you, are you going to take snaps next year for the Steelers yeah. quarterback? <laughs>
7: Uh, we're, uh, we're, they're hoping that it isn't that. They're, that's for sure. Um, but uh, with both of those guys, Rudolph and Roethlisberger, both coming back from injuries, uh, they got to be a little concerned, I guess.
2: Uh, yeah, they are going to uh, get the old crystal ball out and let's see if Cordell Stewart has some eligibility left, right? Um, uh, when we look at, at Mason Rudolph and, and Big Ben, I mean, two different types of injuries. But man, Mason Rudolph's was a was a dislocation? Touch on on that, and then Big Ben. I mean, I know he avoided Tommy John, but he had a lot of work done on his elbow. What are both of these quarterbacks up up against to get back at it?
7: Yeah, so. The Rudolph's injury was really a, a very unique injury. Um, what happened there was the joint where the collarbone attaches into the chest, we call it the sternoclavicular joint, so where the collarbone attaches onto the breastbone, that joint um, uh, dislocated um, at the end of the year last year uh, with an impact injury. And what happens is that the collarbone will slip behind the breastbone. Um, When it dislocates, it doesn't come out the front. It goes backwards. And unfortunately, um, you've got some big things back behind your breastbone, like your heart and your aorta and uh, some of the other uh, uh, structures that are critical nerves and your esophagus and things like that. So uh, it's a really, really dangerous injury. It can actually uh, be one of those things that's life-threatening. Um, but in his case, um, you know, it, it turned out it didn't hit or do anything bad to the to the major structures back there. But he still had to have the corrective surgery for uh, that particular injury.
2: You know, and it was his non-throwing shoulder. But still, uh, when it comes to reconstruction slash cleanup, and, and then rehab to get ready to play this seems pretty severe more severe than just your normal dislocation because of I mean there's extra precaution right there's got to be because of, of the organs you mentioned
7: yeah. So the the big issue with these is um, getting back the stability of the joint, like it is with any other uh, dislocation. You're trying to create stability. You know, ACL reconstructions, uh, you know, shoulder dislocations. You're always trying to create stability. But with this one, um, because that joint doesn't move very much. Um, There really is very little actual motion in that joint. Once you get it back into position and you can hold it stable for a long enough period of time, it usually ends up being a a good stable joint. But when you think about, um, you know, the fact that as a quarterback you're going to get thrown down onto the ground and, you know, you land on the side, uh, you know, one side or the other with your shoulders and that collarbone, you know, just gets gets uh, a lot of force put to it, you know, when you when you go down like that. And so, yeah, I, I mean, it's going to be a, a an interesting thing to see how he reacts to the contact, you know, kinds of things. Uh, because it, I don't think it's going to affect him when, he, when he's just throwing the ball or he's handing off the ball or something like that. But whether or not he's going to be okay with getting hit, you know, that's just going to be an interesting thing to see how he comes back from that.
2: Dr. Doug Davis with us, Lincoln Orthopedic Center at Jock Doc Wednesday. We're talking both Pittsburgh quarterbacks, Mason Rudolph's recovery. And how about Big Ben uh, with his right elbow? That's his throwing arm. And this was, it sounds like a doozy of a procedure that he had out in L.A. Uh, Man, this seemed pretty messy to clean up.
7: Yeah, so you know, it's it's a little bit hard uh, with the information that we've gotten about Roethlisberger to really, you know, know how much was going on. We know that it didn't involve his Tommy John ligament, which is the first thing that you would think about with a you know throwing uh, athlete on their throwing arm um, pain in the inner aspect of the elbow. I mean, that's the first thing you think about. Um, but it turns out that in his particular situation, it was more about uh, the muscles that were uh, coming across the elbow and, and he needed to have some, uh, the muscle tendon repair work done. So what that probably um, is is most significant for it is the, the muscles that control your wrist. So when you think about uh, flexing your wrist as you're making a throw as a quarterback, those flexor muscles that that you know, allow your wrist to snap forward, those muscles are the ones that attach to the inside of the elbow. And if those are torn then you're going to be, number one, having a lot of pain, and number two, having the weakness and dysfunction of that. And so it really has a huge effect on, on the ability to throw the ball. Um, it, it, um, uh, people always think about the Tommy John ligament, but this is just as important and and uh, uh, would be very dysfunctional for a quarterback.
2: When it comes to, to recovery, getting back to form, and, and Big Ben's been in the league a long time, he's got a couple of Of um, Super Bowl wins already but uh, with his age is this a big ask for him to get back to a guy that can go win it versus a guy that can manage it
7: yeah you know honestly I think this is going to be one of those uh, uh, real success story kind of scenarios because um, this is an injury that um, managed correctly. Um, I, I really, I think the recovery should be very, very good. Um, it's really almost more of a of a chronic uh, uh, problem that occurs with the the you know the use over and over and over again, and um, when you get rid of that pain. All of a sudden, you start seeing these guys, you know, doing really, really well. It's a little bit like, I guess, from that perspective, like some of the Tommy John people. You know, that two or three years they're having some pain, and then it finally gets let loose, and then they come back and they go, "Ah, I've thrown better than I've ever thrown in my life." Well, that's not not true they just feel better than they have for the last three or four years um, but you know this one is another one where I think he probably was having pain for a long time and it just kind of finally tipped him over the edge and I, I think he's going to come back and do well.
2: From a recovery standpoint Dr. Doug Tavis with his Lincoln Orthopedic Center at Jock Doc Wednesday with Big Ben um, is there you know what point can he get going again I know this this surgery happened late 2019 But if we get to camp, uh, should he be – how far along should he be at this point, I guess, if we're talking a
7: month? Sure, I think I think he's going to be right there. Um, he's been thrown um, and and really uh, the reports you know out of the Pittsburgh uh, area that that he's thrown without pain, um, which doesn't surprise me too much. This again, this is a repair. This is not a reconstruction, and so you know whenever you can do a direct repair of something, uh, the recovery is a little bit faster than when you have to do a reconstruction where you're waiting for revascularization of tissues and things like that so um i i have a feeling ben's going to be uh, coming on very very quickly although um i, I think that i've read that that uh, they're going to start out um uh, with rudolph uh taking more majority of the snaps but we'll see what happens
2: dr doug davis dr doug thanks for a few minutes okay hey, thanks
7: chris looking forward to the football
1: miss us come here brother give me a hug Bring are in for the real thing we're on call for you catch the podcast at hailvarsity.com the ESPN Lincoln app or download them
2: on iTunes saddle up partner back to hail
1: varsity radio
2: one final time on a Wednesday busy tomorrow Jerry DiNardo gonna be with us it is the pride of Chicago back at it on a Thursday Danny Burke will be with us Brandon Vogel will check in and Blackshirt Husker NFLer Jay Moore. Excited to talk to Uncle Jerry, get his perspective on the old Big Ten. Going to want to hear today's show, can subscribe, get to iTunes, or just log on hailvarsity.com for the full podcast. We get that bad boy edited down to a minute. Not a minute. That'd be impressive. An hour 25. That'd be some good editing skills for me. An hour and 25 <laughs> minutes. For you, on your walk, on your treadmill, at the weight room, at home. If you don't want to hear the wife scream at you, put the earbuds in, we're good.
0: i got to say, I'm excited for that uh, that Danny Burke interview tomorrow. you got to ask him a little bit about the, the UFC event on Saturday.
2: Well, absolutely. It's
0: going to be a big deal. Now. I mean, I, I trust his well, opinion. We, we
2: need more odds and thoughts, and Danny will be getting ready to uh, hit the town, because he's working on another birthday. Is he now? He is. The 10th.
0: I mean, I'm not going to ask on the air. He
2: may be loaded. (laughs) (laughs) He may have wings on or on some sort of Johnny football type swan gliding towards a swim up bar at the hard rock.
0: The thing for me is like, I feel like I'd go to Vegas to celebrate a birthday, but he's already there. So I'm not sure if that's good so for he's him. He's got to or, treat every day like it's his birthday. I don't know. Does that like take the fun away from your birthday, or does that make like just it that much more awesome? Well,
2: we'll ask him tomorrow. I don't know the COVID restrictions between stage and distance from stage and pulled. <laughs> I don't.
0: I wasn't expecting you to go that that route with me. We will. We well. <laughs> I should have known better. <laughs>
2: We're going to have a hell of a fun time with Danny tomorrow. (laughs) But uh, more insight on the Big Ten and great stuff today. Mike Babcock nails, as always, Brad Edwards, phenomenal. Great ideas on what could happen in the SEC, his reaction to the Ivy League. And all three guys, and Elijah, you and I gave our two cents on this hot seat list. (laughs) you just, like, utterly offended and we don't we don't root or, nor cheer. I'm just like, all right, Chip Kelly, yeah, probably, even though they can't afford him to, to blow him out. USC, yeah, they're looking for someone prettier and that wins more consistently. I get that, don't care about Connecticut football, don't care about Tulsa football, don't care about whoever else is on the list. Maybe New Mexico or New Mexico State. I don't know.
0: I was glad that we could talk to some people from around the
2: country. Well, that's that's the point of it. You and I have our take. mm -hmm. Babbers has – Babbers, I know, is local, but Babbers has been doing college football for four decades. And he's been doing Nebraska football. Okay? So, if anyone's got, like, perspective on Nebraska and Bill Moose and Scott Frost, it's Mike Babcock. And this is just too soon and too stupid to include him.
0: Yeah. It's, it's as simple as that.
2: And you could just hear the tone of Brad Edwards and Blair Kirkoff go, what, what? Like, this isn't my list, bro. And, you know, Dennis Dodds, we should probably try and get Dennis on, but the rest of the radio contingent of Nebraska is probably trying to do the same. And Hey, if there were media days, we'd bump into him there. He'd tell us to bleep off if we want to do an interview. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 4.